It's the Dry Heat Check with Jay Cohen Espo. That's Greg Esposito. I'm Jared Cohen. It's episode 14, and the nod this week goes to the Tatman, Ryan Roberts. Episode Ryan Roberts, the former Arizona Diamondback for episode 14. Do you remember the bobblehead that they gave out of him with the actual tattoos on it? And Do then you, they gave the tattoo sleeve the out? Sleeve. The, the sleeve. The was sleeve awesome. alone that they were passing. You see all these little... Five to ten-year-old kids with a Tatman sleeve. He stole the hearts of Diamondbacks fans for a few years, I, doing a little bit of everything for the team. I'm pretty sure I still have that bobblehead somewhere in the uh, in the prize closet back home. So, He's like you know one what? of the most unexpected fan favorites, maybe in the history of the franchise. I, I agree, and uh, I, I'm just going to say this off top, off the top. Like some people in the presidential debate, I haven't studied for today's show, so this may go a little off the rails. Well, we'll see. That was actually pretty uh, interesting and entertaining. So hopefully uh, this, and hopefully this episode has as many viewers as that uh, did as well. That would I, be nice. I just, I'm just proud that I knew uh, who Tatman was when you were talking. About <laughs> Tatman, so you remember they called him the Tatman? That, that could have been a really bad uh, <laughs> start to the show. I so. wish I knew who you were talking about, Jared. <laughs> so yes, Ryan Roberts, the Tatman is who gets the nod. Other notables who wore the number 14, we'll start with the Diamondbacks. Brent Brady was the first one to wear 14. You remember him? I do. Played in the outfield. Horrible arm from left field. That seemed to be a a thing for the Diamondbacks in the early years because Luis Gonzalez didn't have a great arm out in left either. No, he didn't. Martin Prado came in. That was kind of a disappointing end with how things worked out with him. Oh, you mean the guy that they got for Justin Upton? Yes. That whole trade that went bad? Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, and then Peter O'Brien currently wears the number 14, and hopefully he turns out better than he has shown at the major league level, the obscene amount of strikeouts. And I think he's had nine hits, and five of those are home runs. So uh, it's a tough start to the major league career for Peter O'Brien, but he still is considered a top prospect in this organization with the power he has. So, ba- Based on the beginning to his career, he may be about as memorable as the other 14s for the Diamondbacks. P- possibly. Let's move to the Suns. Alvin Scott, one of the long-tenured old-school guys with the Suns. Jeff Hornacek wore the number 14 before he was traded for Charles Barkley. I had to throw Dan Lange's name in there because we know we love to bring up the tall white centers on this show that were average to below average. We could have easily named this episode after Dan Lane. I thought about throwing that out there for you, but it was time to name a Diamondback. Antonio McDice, who I know is near and dear to your heart. Uh, not the Antonio McDice that wore number 14 for, for the Suns. The one that wore number 34 yes. was more d- near and dear to my heart. That was his second Do you second know the stint. backstory with all that? The, it was his second stint that he wore mm-hmm. the number 14, It right? was, yeah. It was after, I believe he got traded back here during the Stefan Marbury deal uh, the season before Steve Nash came back. That's I, I right. I believe he played as number 14 in that year. Gerald Green, Louis Scola, and Ronnie Price I round out like the 14. I feel like Howard Isley wore 14. Did he? I, that he thing, maybe, I I'm, maybe I'm wrong. I don't remember if that name popped up. We'll have to double-check yeah. that, though. Cardinals, Stephen Williams. Remember the 6'5", 6'6", wide receiver that was out of Toledo that was a training camp superstar for a couple straight years, but didn't really amount to much. Sure, I remember. We'll Ryan Lindley that. wore the number 14. Oh, I remember that, unfortunately. And J.J. Nelson currently wears the number 14. And finishing off with the Coyotes, we have Mike Stapleton, who was with the team early on. Jeff Taffy, one of the best names in the history of the Coyotes. Anyone named Taffy. Taylor Pyatt, the pretty boy for the Coyotes during their run to the Western Conference Finals. And then Joe, Joe Vitale, currently wears the number 14 for your Arizona Coyotes. 
You did some research? Did I, you find out about Howard Isley? I was just, I realized that I wasn't going to know anything about the uh, coyotes that you're about to say. So uh, I, I just decided to do some research. I and couldn't hear enough about Taylor Pyatt from a couple friends that I had, uh, female friends that I had who were Coyotes fans. That's all I heard about. Did you get to talk to Taylor Pyatt today? <laughs> Did you get to talk to Taylor Pyatt? He was actually a pretty nice guy. I don't know where he's ended up now or if he's still in the league. I haven't checked so, up on that. But So Howard Isley, I was wrong. He wore number 12 with the Phoenix Suns in his stint in 2004. So your credibility balances out. It was at an all-time high when you talked about drop the knowledge of the Antonio McDice 14 but it now evens out because you get Howard Isley's name. How about the fact that I remembered Howard Isley played for a very <laughs> brief stint with the Phoenix Suns? That's good enough. And maybe. I'm pretty sure he wore 14 elsewhere, but I'm not 100% Maybe it was sure. with the Jazz. Didn't he play with the I, Jazz I for a while? So. so, Greg, the Arizona Cardinals are below 500. They are 1-2 on the season after a dismal loss in Buffalo. It was painful to watch. Really poor football, really poor performance. And, um, you know, we've heard a lot. It's, everyone's been up in arms. Everyone has had their reasons for uh, what's, to, to, what's gone wrong, what to make out of it, what's, the, what's to do going forward. They brought in nine guys into the camp for a, for a tryout this week. It looks like they've signed a few of those. I'm wondering, what is your take on the current situation surrounding the team that's sp- supposed to be the knight in shining armor of professional sports in this town? Look. I'm already kind of sick of of hearing about this because everybody is bedwetting again. And look, I have a feeling that <laughs> you this, hate when people wet the bed. Well, it's just everybody panics and freaks out. And yeah, we we didn't hear on this show thought maybe they weren't good enough, uh, as good as people thought in terms of Super Bowl winning team, or maybe they're buying a little bit too much into the hype. But I also don't think I'm ready to jump off the bandwagon and go, oh, it's going to be a four-win season, 4-12, four and 12 and all hell's breaking loose. No, uh, they've, they've had some bad games, and I'm sick of listening to the regular breakdown. So I'm going to, I'm going to position this in a different way, in okay. a way that you might come to expect from me if you've ever followed me on social media or, or heard me talk. I'm going to look at this in terms of Nicolas Cage movies the first <laughs> three weeks okay. of the season, all right? And I, I think this is... I think this is the way we got to look at it. All right. All right. The first the first week it was honeymoon in Vegas, right? It was it was just not slightly great. disappointing. Slightly disappointing. Moments were entertaining. People talked about it, but it wasn't anything all that all that great. You're a little frustrated with it, right? Okay. You know, I you, I I look at it that way. Okay. Okay. So, I, like think, where this I think is going. you start I think you start there. Week 1 what was that? It just it left kind of a bad taste in your mouth, but you weren't totally upset because you went. There were some All entertaining right, parts. There, of it. it was entertaining. It's not a huge deal. It's one misstep in in a larger, you know, in a larger body of work that I'm I'm not going to get too frustrated with. Okay. All That's right. That's week one. Week two. Forty to seven went over the Buccaneers. It was it was leaving Las Vegas. It was an award winning performance. It was what you expected from a, a a leading man or a leading team. They stepped up. They were entertaining. They they did everything that they needed to. They followed the script to a T. It, it, it was the kind of thing that you want to put on a pedestal and go. 
That's that's what we want from you. All okay. right. Okay. All right. Week three. I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Good movie. Very good movie. Good movie. Week three. Okay. The loss to the Buffalo Bills on the road in embarrassing fashion. It was Wicker Man. All right. As a fan, <laughs> I don't know if you remember. I, I've seen this movie. I've once, never. I never saw and, that. And movie. it was only parts of it on cable. But there's a scene, and, and the GIF is is all over the internet. But it's Nick Nick Cage's head in this basically kind of case mesh case with bees in it and he's freaking out that was week three it was a total and utter mess (laughs) a disaster you watch it and you went i don't know what the heck happened i don't know who the heck uh planned any of this out but it did not go well it was not good it was frustrating and you know from somebody like the cardinals or a nick cage you could expect much better you've seen it that, you know, you've seen a much better performance, and you left just angry, just frustrated. Like, it was worse than than Drive Angry, all right? Which was a bad Nick Cage movie. I never Cage saw that movie. one either. But, but Wicker Man, awful. And that, this better be the low point. Well, let me. So for the let me, Cardinals and Nick Cage. So all. if the Cardinals lose at home to the L.A. Rams and Case Keenum, could you say their season is gone in sixty seconds? Oh God, you went there. <laughs> I'm out. You went, I'm out. You it's went been a great there. show, everyone. That's fact. That's no. my last thing I'll say in the history of the dry heat check. If you lose to the Rams, I don't. I don't even know where that fits on the Nick Cage scale. I used to think you instead. You know how we had the terror alert scale. Well, we needed a Nick Cage scale. <laughs> I'm not sure where the panic level would be on a Nick Cage scale if you lose to the Rams. It would be worse than what you just suffered in Buffalo. Absolutely. And you wouldn't have the built-in pathetically lame excuse of, hey, we played on the East Coast at a time we're not used to, which I think is the stupidest excuse in all of professional sports. I think the season might uh, decompose like the VX poison gas oh, and the God. rock where Nick Cage oh, was God. the scientist in charge of wow. saving San Francisco if they lose to the Rams. You know, I, I, I will actually be like, uh, you know, Nick Cage and face off when, <laughs> when he, when he wakes up after they've removed the face and it's just, it's gross. And, and then he, he's so angry. He needs a cigarette. I don't smoke, but if they lose to the Rams, I'm probably going to pick up some bad habits. Because it will be time to start to panic. Because now you've also you've lost a division game to a team that's looked pretty putrid for most of Even the season. Even though they are technically in first place right now. Which is which is insane. But you know, I just you look at it and if you lose to a Case Keenum led LA Rams team at home in a building where you're not supposed to lose. Where you did lose to them last year where, around where the you, same time of year. But but I I even think it was a better team last year than I think the Rams were better been. last year absolutely so so you're taking an even further step backwards if you lose to this team at home I just you're one and three at that point I think you totally shift your focus from Super Bowl or bust to how do we just ensure we get into the playoffs and start playing well by the end of the year now here's here's one thing that I brought up last year and I'll continue to bring it up again because the Rams still have a lot of the same faces on this defense that they've had the last few years. Robert Quinn, Aaron Donald. Uh, Chris Long is no longer there. I don't think James Laurinaitis is either is there either, anymore either. Um, but some of the same faces. And I can't help but remember two years ago, 
Two years ago was against the Rams at home was the Carson Palmer ACL game. Two years ago in St. Louis was the Drew Stanton injury game that sidelined him for the rest of the year, which led to Ryan Lindley and Logan Thomas playing quarterback from there on out, ultimately losing in the first round. There's something about the way this team plays defense. They're active. They're aggressive. Some might say borderline dirty. You've, your season will be gone in 60 seconds if Carson Palmer goes down. So the way the offensive line performed against Buffalo, which they didn't perform, uh, they were downright awful. And people were complaining that, you know, David Johnson wasn't getting the ball enough because they weren't able to establish the run. And then they were losing because the offensive line was horrible. They're supposed to be a run-blocking offensive line with a guy like Valdir and Mike Upati, who prides himself on run-blocking. If they can't block for Palmer, I really worry about Aaron Donald and company going after Palmer and, and derailing a season before it even begins um, because it, this team frightens me with how active and aggressive they are on defense. Offense, this defense is going to respond. I, I, I think that they... I think they were caught with their pants down in Buffalo, which uh, apparently in tailgating in Buffalo happens quite often from what I read on <laughs> Deadspin. Uh, but they were caught with their pants down. I think they're going to respond. It's, I think right now I'm concerned most this week with the offense and protecting the guys in the backfield to stay healthy, to stay upright, and to be able to make plays. Well, you need Evan Mathis back. I think that's a huge part of it. He's that is a big part the, of it. Uh, with the well, foot why issue. did he play? Why did he play at the end of the game against Tampa Bay, by the way? Something we didn't mention last week. He went into the game randomly in the fourth quarter when the game was out of reach. It might have been earlier than that, and I didn't notice. I only noticed when he walked off the field hurt again. Why was he, he even in the game? I, I don't know. I, he's, he's a gamer. He's a, he's a guy that you're, you're not going to – as much as, as you, you always hope that the doctors dictate everything, players are going to have a major say in it. If he felt – he was good enough to go out there, and he was going to gut it out. I, I get it, but you need him. You yeah. need him on that offensive line. I think last week, in part, was a byproduct of not having him there. You know what? You talk about the potential of a Carson Palmer injury. If he doesn't get his head on straight, it's not going to matter whether he's injured or not because if the guy that showed up in Buffalo is the quarterback you're getting, you're not going to win anyway. See, and I don't think all of that was on him. I I you think know, in I the think, end, the quarterback's the guy that throws the ball. You're right. If he and the receiver aren't on the same page, I am continually of the belief that that's on the quarterback. He's I the disagree. leader. He needs to get his receivers on the same page. Once, okay. It happened four or five times in that game where it just the whole offense looks out of sync. It looked like somebody who had only driven an automatic car their entire life getting in a manual and trying to operate it. It doesn't work. It, it, it's choppy. It's, it just doesn't flow right. There was, that there's like, something. It sounds like me driving an automatic car, by the way. A manual car, you mean? Manual car, yes. yes. Automatic, wow. Hopefully I, I'm better I, at driving automatics. It's uh, Honestly, it's there's something wrong with this offense. And for me, it starts with Car Carson Palmer. I know that they were playing from behind, but those interceptions... One or two you put on the receivers, but at some point yeah. it's on the quarterback. And if this team isn't on the same page and he and his receivers aren't on the same page, I put it on him. He's the leader of the offense. He's the guy that's supposed to get those players on the same page. And another thing, maybe it's time to reexamine uh, the way that Bruce Arian scripts his first 30 plays. Because in two of the it's first three games, it hasn't exactly worked. And in Buffalo, continually throwing deep, 
yes. at the beginning of that game wasn't working. That was driving me nuts. So maybe I, maybe you got to deviate from the script at some point. I am fully on board with you saying that the leader should should be the one that stands out when it's success and when it's failure. They should be at the forefront. So when there's failure, you have to point at Carson Palmer. But when you really watch what this offense is doing, it's Palmer going back to his ways from when he was in Oakland and kind of at times in Cincinnati where he is having or trying to force the issue and make plays on his own because the guys around him haven't been exactly reliable. The offensive line has not been good and was not good in Buffalo at all. I said that already. Run blocking and pass blocking. Michael Floyd dropping the ball. John Brown dropping the ball. Uh, looping your routes and, and, and taking weird routes. Or like in week one, Floyd just deciding, wait, I've got this guy beat. I'm going to put my hand up and just keep streaking down the field instead of running the route that you're supposed to route that Palmer has in the back of his mind going through his progressions, the timing route. That is going off script. That is a product of not being reliable for your leader. And if Palmer can't rely on his guys, he's going to start to force the issue. That's that's the Carson Palmer way. We've seen it for most of his career. He's going to try to force things and try to make things happen. And sometimes it backs, backfires into four interceptions. But it all started from the opening drive when he had no time to throw. And when he did have time to throw, there were two drops. Oh, one of them, by the way, by the coveted Larry Fitzgerald. Okay, so if you can't rely on the guys around you, how can you expect someone to be able to dig your team out of it uh, by by stepping back or getting conservative? He does the opposite. He tries to force the issue, and like I said, it backfired in him throwing multiple interceptions. Look, I'm sorry, but in the fourth quarter, they had a chance, and they didn't pull it off because of Carson Palmer's decision-making. Well, one of he them, made- though, one of those interceptions was on Michael Floyd. They even broke down that route where he's running a post corner and instead of it being a post corner is a line and then a triangle like angle route right towards the flag, like right towards the pylon. He ran this big looping C route, allowing the safety or the corner to go underneath with safety help behind him. And the corner underneath picked the ball off at the pylon where Floyd was supposed to be. Now you can't tell me that that throw is on Palmer when Floyd is running behind. Plus, Floyd did nothing to go back and try to knock the ball away. He did nothing to try to play defense on a throw where he was supposed to be. That was the worst performance of Michael Floyd as an Arizona Cardinal, and a lot of his mistakes are a result of Carson Palmer getting the brunt of it. I don't I don't deny that when, when the receivers leave a quarterback exposed because they don't run the correct route that it causes problems. There were a couple balls in that fourth quarter that were just forced, that it wasn't a wide receiver's problem that that cost them opportunities in that game. This was a a game where probably one or two fewer turnovers and and the offense moves a little bit better, they win. That's a game that you can win playing poorly, that they should have won playing poorly, and that they had opportunities all the way until the last few minutes of the fourth quarter to actually cut it to one score and get right back in it, and they didn't. So 
I think it's probably a combination of what both of us are saying. Poor route running by the receivers and poor decision-making by Carson Palmer. And at some point, it is on him to get on the same page with his receivers. And if those receivers aren't, he needs to go to Bruce Arians and, and make sure something's done about it. That's Greg Esposito. I'm Jared Cohen. It's the Dry Heat Check episode, Ryan Roberts. Switching gears now. So did you see this, Espo, on Twitter? Louis Deming, the goalie for the Arizona Coyotes, is paying homage to Arizona sports on his face mask this year. He has a sketch of he's got Randy Johnson. He's got Sean Burke. Good for Sean Burke being put in, the, in this category. Getting a little love. Uh, and then he's got Larry Fitzgerald and Steve Nash all on his hockey mask, his goalie mask this season. So the way we like to do it, we don't honor guys because they're great. At the dry heat check, those are obvious. We honor the obscure. Hence, Ryan Roberts is named after this episode. So we go with the obscure four that you would put on your hockey mask, Espo, if you were the goalie of the Arizona Coyotes. And I think it's only appropriate because there's not two more obscure guys talking Arizona sports than you and I. It makes sense. Are we rotating? Are we each giving Why one? don't we rotate? Why All don't right. we go by team? Why because don't you, you, never, start... you never inform me how we're going to do You're this. You're right. So... We never game plan. We're off the cuff here. We don't, we don't script so, this stuff. So All how right? do you want to do this? Who is the Coyote? The obscure coyote you would put on your face mask. Bobby Francis and his mustache. Just his mustache. Bobby Francis was the coach in the late 90s, early 2000s in those teams that could never get out of the first round, but were some of my favorite coyotes teams of all time. Nikolai Abby Boulin, uh, Keith Kachuk, Jeremy Roenick. Uh, Tempo Newman. Tempo Newman. Yeah, you just uh, you had some great guys on those teams, and that was back when I really was a big hockey fan and had you know parents had season tickets like i've talked about here before but bobby francis's mustache (laughs) was one of my favorite things about those teams because it was it was 80s throwback and he he wore it with great pride so that would be the obscure coyote that makes it on my mask that's a good one mine is a guy we talked about last week almost uh or two weeks ago paul bissonette so paul bissonette's career is basically made up of fighting guys spending more time in the uh penalty box than on the ice and being a social media star all right that's that's his claim to fame for the coyotes that's my obscure arizona coyote how about the suns the suns it's got to be marco milich dunking over a honda del sol <laughs> like that's what, what he's known for it was and it's got that's got to be the obscure sun that you put on there and it has to be that moment mine is Utah tabusi who That's spent five minutes with the Phoenix Suns the year before Steve Nash came back. They tried to sell some jerseys to play the Yao Ming card to, to China, right? And actually, I knew a few people that went out and bought his jerseys. They were selling them in the team shop. Hit That whole thing didn't end up panning I, out. I actually think that may have been more of a publicity stunt than anybody realizes. You think? You think? A little bit random? Not, not basketball related. Cardinals. Tom Tupa. Uh, there it is. Playing quarterback. There it is. The, you knew that's where I was the, going. The, the, the subliminal Tom Tupa mention each and every episode Tom, of the Dry Heat Check. Tom Tupa's on that mask, hands down, no no doubt. And, and there wasn't there wasn't a shortage of obscure Cardinals that you could put on there, no. but Tom Tupa definitely making it. And I, I'm going off another guy that we've talked about before. We actually named episode 10 after him. It's Scott Player because I'd want that solo – Solo face single mask, bar, huh? single bar face mask on my hockey mask. Last one is the Arizona Diamondbacks. I'm sorry, but I didn't go with the Diamondback. I actually, I wait. I, what? I, I thought 
bat, uh, racket. I'm, I'm going to go with the Phoenix Smash logo. Okay. okay. You probably have You're, no clue who no the Phoenix clue. Smash are. Let, please most, let, most enlight, don't. enlighten us what the Phoenix Smash logo is and why you're putting it on your face. They mask. were actually one of the first four original uh, teams in the then America West Arena to play there. It was the Suns, the Rattlers, the Sand Sharks, the Phoenix Smash. The Sand Sharks. I remember the All Sand right? Sharks, but not the Smash. The Phoenix Smash was a one-season uh, indoor tennis team that... Uh, Jimmy Connors, I believe, was actually on that team. Uh, they had teams across the country that had big-time tennis stars on those teams, and they played each other in arenas throughout the country, and it was a team format with scoring and standings and all, and all that. Wow. Phoenix Smash would be on my helmet. All right, well, I stuck with the Diamondbacks, and I put in Eric Burns because Eric— Faye Cussell. The, the Mr. Faye Cussell himself— the uh, he was just so out of control, but so much fun to watch at the same time. One of the most entertaining Arizona Diamondbacks of all time, and uh, and just his his walk up music when he would bat was great. His flips in the outfield were great. The way he hustled, he had that one great season that fooled everyone. That got him a huge contract, which ultimately was one of the more poor Arizona Diamondback contracts of all time. I thought about putting Shelby Miller in that spot, but uh, I still. I still contend that the uh, the answer is still not there with Shelby Miller, and we'll give him the benefit of the doubt. You and I have vastly different definitions of great. Inter- I, the word great and Eric Burns have never been <laughs> in the same sentence in my mind. There was never a more frustrating player for me than Eric Burns because he took the, the simple and made it look extremely difficult. He Which was the is guy, why I loved him. He was the guy at the office that you know that takes the, the remedial thing and prolongs it for a week so he doesn't have to do anything else out there. He makes it look about as tough as possible. <laughs> that kind of person drives me nuts, and Eric Burns drove me insane with that. I did a not honorable mention hockey mask. All right. Okay. Who, who else? The guys that you would be the opposite of who you'd want to put on a hockey mask. And I did it for the four for four professional teams in this town. Started with the Coyotes, Mike Ribeiro, who was the star-studded free agent signing from two years ago yeah, that worked out ended great. up being horrific for them. For the Suns, Robert Ory. You gotta. I would go Michael Beasley. I actually before Michael Beasley, I'd go Markeith Morris. I don't know, man. There's I a lot of sons you could put on the this. Great, the great hype that was Michael Beasley and Lance Blanks thinking was he was no a pitcher. There hype around La- him. Lance Blanks legitimately Lance thought he could be the cornerstone of a, of a franchise Lance moving forward. Lance Blanks thought that. Why Any not put fan? Lance Blanks on the damn helmet? Because put, he's the reason fine. we're in six Let, years without a, we'll without a son's playoff Lance spot. Blanks gets the non-honorable right, mention face on the face mask. So, so would you call that a Blanks space? Whoa! Oh! That'll be funnier in a second, but <laughs> go ahead. The Arizona Cardinals, I put Andre Wadsworth, the former Ooh. number three overall pick who had a career of eight total sacks in yeah, his NFL career. And then he had microfracture surgery by the great Dr. James Andrews and never played again. He well, probably he the played most, again, probably played the biggest well. draft pick bust in the history of the Cardinals. And then for the Diamondbacks, I kind of struggled with this one, but uh, but because uh, there's not a lot of guys that I really wanted to thrust at the forefront um but i put brandon mccarthy brandon mccarthy was a guy that i didn't have great dealings with in covering him gotcha and also he was trashing on the diamondbacks after he left the team 
So he's the non-honorable mention face of the Diamondbacks. I can, I can accept that. That that one's acceptable. Okay. Did um, you have something to add with no, all this? Or? No, I, I, you, again, went completely off script, didn't let me know that we were doing some secondary list. So Com- no, coming from Mr. Off Script, yes. I did okay. not prepare anything. The airing of grievances, Espo, and I have one because you went a long but fantastic with yours last week, and if you did not check out Espo's airing of grievance last week, it was his platforms on how to make Arizona sports great again. There We're was no- failing, by the way, if you watch that Cardinals game last yeah, week. Yeah, we are. We are. And, uh, and I thought there was no need to have an airing of grievance to follow that. <laughs> and for that reason, in case you come and blow my mind again here in a second, I'm going to go first. I'm listening to FM radio here locally, some, a music channel, okay? And I really could care less about celebrity gossip, all right? But I got hooked on a tease, Espo. The, uh, it's what we call a tease leading into another segment. So the the disc jockey or the MC or whoever's hosting this show says, so Taylor Swift and her boyfriend, what's his name again, or ex-boyfriend? Tom, Tom Hiddleston. Tom Hiddleston. Played Loki in the Avengers movies. Okay, so Tom. I'm going to just say Tom because I keep <laughs> screwing up his last name. They broke up, right? So apparently there's a big like celebrity function, a red carpet, and someone talks to Tom and asks if him and Taylor are on good terms. And she teases, he says they are still friends and there might be more to it. That'll, we'll find out about that next. I come back from the break and she says, so he says they're still friends and that's about it. And she goes, oh, so there's drama there still. They might not be friends after all. And I'm thinking, how in the world did I just waste my time? Who cares if they are just friends and that's about it? I could care less about Tom and Taylor. I feel like I have gotten dumber having been caught by that tease and then the payoff was that. It drives me nuts. I do not care about Tom and Taylor. I do not care about Brad and Angelina. And the fact that I get roped into this stuff constantly and I can't get away from it drives me nuts. That's my airing of grievance. I, I, I'm not going to add anything because I don't want to disparage the great Taylor Swift. I'm just not going to do it. <laughs> uh, and I just I can't bring myself to do it. Okay, well then where are you at? Okay, mine actually, I, I've been kind of humorous in these uh since we've been doing them but today is actually serious a serious topic i want to bring up i came across this story in the arizona republic uh late last week and uh the foothills academy uh prep boys soccer team has has kind of a very special situation something that i think should probably be celebrated they actually have sisters Alyssa and colette hawking on their team because apparently in the lower ranks uh, of AIA or, or in this particular case, it's a kind of a third, uh, a separate uh, body that, that kind of oversees these teams. They allow females to play on the male teams when there isn't a, a woman's team for them, to, for, for them to participate in. So they're both on this team. And I think it's a great thing. A guy, I, we've talked about it. I'm about to have a daughter and anything that empowers women is very important to me right now and has been in the past but takes on new meaning when you know you're about to bring a little girl into this world so you know you you see it and you go wow that's great until you actually find out about about the further story with it foothills uh, prep had driven out to play our lady of sorrows it's apparently about an hour away from where their campus is and our lady of sorrows which is obviously a religious school decided that they they would refuse to play against uh foothills prep if the girls played 
So Foothills Prep decides, okay, well, we're not going to play the Hawking Sisters in this game. Once you go, okay, it's a, it's an ass-backwards school that doesn't get that we should embrace what's going on. Well, then a couple weeks later, Mesa Faith Christian, another religious school there, decides they're going to refuse to play if the girls are on the field. And I, I applaud Foothills Prep because they decided the team as a whole voted that if the Hawking sisters can't play, they're not going to play. But my problem comes down to people hiding behind different reasons for, and, and whether it's religion or political belief or whatever the case may be, hiding behind that to claim why they don't want to do this, when really it boils down to sexism. That, that's what this is. And I want to read a quote from Dick Buckingham, the administrative lead of Faith Christian, about the situation. He said, quote, I know it appears to fly in the face of, of what everyone is wanting to promote today that is equality. It's based on a religious perspective that God created guys and girls differently. The physical di difference, there's a strength advantage that men have over women. We want to teach our men that, on that honor of ladies is not just in sports. We struggle how to teach that if we're allowing them to play against young ladies in a competitive game. We're the ones harmed because we're giving up a game. We think it's better to do that than give a mixed message. That frustrates the heck out of me. Because I'm yeah. a religious person. I, uh, I am. And I, I don't want to get into different beliefs. And I, I usually, I will not judge somebody based on, on any of that. But this is not a religious belief. This is sexism by its definition and at its core. The reason that they didn't want to play was because boys and girls are different. Yeah, that, that's why we should celebrate that. These are two girls that can hold their own on a soccer field with boys. Why are we not celebrating that? Why are we hiding behind religious beliefs and claiming that that's why you don't want this? And then playing the victim card like they're somehow in, in wow. you know, being disserviced by having to forfeit a game by their small-mindedness. There is no reason that, they, that anybody should ever put these two girls in this situation where they don't get to play a sport they love because you're too small-minded to want them on the field with your boys. It's just, it's asinine to me. It's frustrating. And we're hiding we're in a world where we, where we have enough problems. Why are we continuing to have these baseless sexist issues and even racist issues that come up in this country and hide behind other excuses for it? If you don't want them to play, say it's because we're sexist and we don't think boys and girls should be playing on the same field. That's what we believe, and so be it. If you're honest in that way, at least I go, okay, well, at least they're honest. They admitted the real problem. But, but trying to hide behind these different reasons for it is frustrating, and it does a disservice to truly religious institutions that uphold beliefs mm -hmm. that, that are real, that are, that are actual beliefs and not some perversion of what those religious beliefs are. And I'm sorry, if that offends you, don't listen to the podcast. It's that simple. You can unsubscribe if that offends you. But to me, this was the most offensive thing I've read in a very long time. And oh, by the way, Our Lady of Sorrow, the original school I told you about, they pulled this back in 2012 as well. 
This is ridiculous. We need to get past this in our society, celebrate our differences, whether it be sex, race, anything, and accept that not sometimes there's going to be uncomfortable things in this world and you're going to have to deal with it. And, and hurting these two teenage girls and removing their ability to play in a soccer game because you're small-minded is nothing more than frustrating. That's Greg Esposito. I'm Jared Cohen. This has been Episode 14, the Ryan Roberts episode of the Dry Heat Check. Check.